We've talked about what 2023 means for this Texas football team, but what does 2023 mean for Steve Sarkeesian? Our Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are talking about the Texas football team, Steve Sarkeesian specifically. What does 2023 or year three at the 40 acres under Sark mean for our head coach? Then we're talking about the Texas baseball team. The Big 12 Conference Tournament starts today at 1230 against Kansas. But yesterday, the Big 12 Conference released their awards and Texas was represented well. We discussed that. Then we're talking about the Texas basketball team. Ron Holland has finally been released from his national letter of intent. So what is next for the five star forward? We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns Park of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. So let's talk about the Texas football team. And we've talked about ad nauseum what 2023 means for this Texas football team, right? We brought in Steve Sarkeesian in 2021. We have seen the culture shift the last two years. We've seen the roster shift the last two years. And many of us feel like this is one of the most talented rosters we've seen in recent memory at the 40 acres. We feel like it's that put up or shut up year for the Texas Longhorns, right? It's time for Texas to get back into that 10 win conversation. It's time for Texas to get back into that conference championship conversation. It's time for Texas to be back at the top of the sport perennially, right? That's where Texas belongs. And it feels like this is the year where Texas starts to assert themselves as one of the best programs in college football once again. So that's what this year means for the Texas football team. But what does 2023 mean for Steve Sarkeesian specifically? And I think it's a huge year for Sark. I think it's a make or break year for Steve Sarkeesian. And when I say that, I don't mean that there's a chance that Steve Sarkeesian can be fired at the end of the season, right? I don't think there's anything that can happen that can result in that, right? Barring something crazy happen, right? I do think that if he wins eight games or less, he'll definitely be on the hot seat going into next year. But I don't see a scenario in which, you know, Steve Sarkeesian gets fired after the 2023 season. That's not what I mean when I say make or break. What I mean by make or break is I feel like even though Steve Sarkeesian has been in this sport, in college football for a long time and has done a lot of great things in this sport, right? Namely, you know, the 2020 Alabama and what he did as an offensive coordinator was just downright special. I think the jury is still out on Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach, right? I think there are a fraction of people that feel like Steve Sarkeesian is a really good offensive mind and he's a really good recruiter, but he may be in over his head uh, as a head coach. And there are other people who feel like he is a good head coach, right? He is a really good recruiter and he is the type of coach to lead a top program, a top program such as the University of Texas. And I think based on what we've seen thus far, you can make arguments on both sides. If you feel like Steve Sarkeesian is a great offensive mind and great recruiter, but may not be the type of coach to lead a top program, I can't necessarily argue with that based on what we've seen thus far, because when you look at it, Sark is 59 and 47 as a head coach over 500, but that's not the type of record that would signify a 
top or elite coach in college football. He's 13 and 12 at Texas. That's not the standard here. He's one game over 500. No 10 win seasons up until this point. No conference championships up until this point. No major bowl wins up until this point. So if you have questions or concerns about Steve Sarkeesian, if you feel like you're not sure if he's capable of leading a top program in college football, those are valid concerns based on what we've seen thus far. Now, if you're a part of the fraction of people like I am that think that Steve Sarkeesian is more than capable of leading a program like the University of Texas back to sustained sustain success, the first coach to lead them to sustained success since Mac Brown, then I think there's arguments for that as well. Because when you look at what he's been able to do the last two years at the University of Texas, and you would probably have to be kind of a fan or attached to the program to know everything he's done. But there was a lot of work to do when Tom Herman left in terms of rebuilding this culture and rebuilding what Texas football is about. I think in two years, we have seen at least the groundwork to Steve Sarkeesian doing that. What's left is to see it on the field. Right. And when you talk about what he's done with this roster in terms of recruiting in the transfer portal, like I said, we look at this roster as one of the most talented we've seen in a while at the 40 acres, one of the most talented since the Mac Brown era. And we really feel like he's emphasizing the units on this football team that you need to win right in terms of the trenches we've seen um, a really valiant effort in terms of fortifying that at the university of texas heading into the sec next year so i think sark has done some really good things at texas the last two years that make me comfortable in believing in him moving forward that he is the right guy for the job i also think at washington and at usc Sark was on the verge of building something special. And for two different reasons, he kind of got in his own way. So when you look at what he was able to do at Washington in 2008, Washington goes 0 and 12, right? Did not win a single game over the next five seasons under Steve Sarkeesian. Washington goes 34 and 29, has four winning seasons and two bowl wins. Now, he didn't coach the bowl in 2013 because he was headed to USC, but he coached that whole season. That was his team, his coaching. That should be his bowl win, right? Now, he leaves Washington in 2013 to head to USC. Now, he takes this program from 0-12 to, you know, a bunch of seven and eight win seasons. And it felt like he took this program to the next step, right? When you take a zero win program to being in the conference championship conversation, that's a success. If Deion Sanders takes Colorado to even being in the uh, conference championship conversation, that's a success, right? But you take a zero win program to a seven, eight win program. And now they want you to take that seven, eight win program to a 10, 11 win program. It's not that easy. And I feel like Steve Sarkeesian felt like he could not get over the hump at Washington. He could be good, but not be really great. And so when the program, he kind of made his name for himself at USC came calling, he left Washington, but in 2016, just three years after Steve Sarkeesian leaves, Washington is in the college football playoff and winning conference championships under Chris Peterson. But I don't think that's possible without the players and without the foundation that Steve Sarkeesian set when he got to Washington in 2009. Not giving Sark credit for what Chris Peterson did, but I'm saying I don't think it's possible that Chris Peterson could have done what he did without Sark doing what he did the five years prior. So now we go on to what he was able to do at USC. Right. And in 2014, in his first year, Sark goes nine and four at USC and that 2014 recruiting class. They had the 10th ranked class in Sark's first year. Right. Headlined by Adoree Jackson and Juju Smith Schuster, both currently in the NFL. In 2015, his first full year, Sark signs the number two class in the country behind only Alabama, who was in the midst of a what now 17 year dynasty. Right. 
that recruiting class included five, four five-star recruits, Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones, who are both currently in the National Football League. Ronald Jones playing for my Dallas Cowboys, right? Shout out, <laughs> shout out to the Dallas Cowboys. That's what he brought in in 2015, right? So he showed he could win, winning nine games in 2014. He showed he could recruit, bringing in the number two class in 2015. I think Sark was on the verge of bringing USC back to prominence, but we all know why that didn't happen. And he only coached five games in 2015. Clay Helton comes in. They finished that season eight and six. In 2016 and 2017, USC goes 10 and three and 11 and three. To me, that is not possible without the players and the foundation that Steve Sarkeesian set. Now, of course, he was not at USC to see it through, but Clay Helton benefited a lot from what Steve Sarkeesian started to build at USC before the demons took over. And I know that because in 2018, they fell right back to five and seven when that foundation ran out. So my point is, Steve Sarkeesian has shown really good things at the University of Texas thus far, and he was starting to show really good things at Washington and at USC, but got in his own way for two different reasons in two different locations. I think 2023 is a make or break year for Steve Sarkeesian, because I think whether you're on one side of the debate or the other side of the debate, we will have the answers this season. If Steve Sarkeesian goes out this year and does not meet expectations with this Texas football team, does not win a conference championship or get to the conference championship game and probably the easiest path he'll ever have again, does not win 10 games in probably the easiest 10 win, you know, path he'll ever have again, then I think you'll have legitimate concerns about Steve Sarkeesian going into the SEC. But if he goes into this season, makes the conference championship game or wins a conference championship, wins 10 games with this Texas football team and meets expectations with the hype around Texas, people starving for Texas to be great. And then going into the SEC next year, if Steve Sarkeesian meets expectations in 2023, we will start talking about him as one of the top head coaches in college football heading into the 2024 season. It's a make or break season for Sark. And as a Texas fan, I'm hoping it makes Steve Sarkeesian in 2023. A quick word from our sponsors. And then we're talking about the Texas baseball team, a special season, and they got the awards to show for it. So today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs, and I love wearing my Bird Dogs because they allow me to feel my best, and I like to look good and feel good. And the three reasons I love Bird Dogs, one is fit. I look better and feel great wearing Bird Dogs. I feel comfortable in them, right? Comfort is the second thing. The stretchy fabric makes my legs look great, and they're comfier than my other shorts and pants. Bird Dogs are definitely my go-to. And I love versatility. They give me the freedom to wear them anywhere, right? If I'm wearing them around the house, if I'm wearing a date, if I'm going out with my friends, wherever, if I want to go work out, if I want to go run, I can wear my bird dogs and still look stylish. And you can do the same. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college and enter the promo code locked on college. They'll throw in a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every order. So we're talking about the Texas baseball team, and it has been a really special season, a season that started off a little rocky and a lot of people thought that they would not be able to match what they were able to do last year and they got better and better every series and you know we saw it kind of culminate with that 16 game win streak that they went on in the middle of the season and even though there were some rough patches after that for the most part after that four and seven start they played really good baseball on all three levels for the rest of the season and it culminated in them winning a share of the big 12 championship with West Virginia and Oklahoma State. And you can point back to a lot of games, you know, one of those blown games against Baylor, blown games against TCU, the sweep against Oklahoma. 
if just one of those games goes differently, you're talking about Texas winning an outright Big 12 championship in a season where a lot of people did not feel like they were capable of doing it. So it was a really special season for this Texas baseball team. Hats off to everybody involved, David Pierce's entire staff, and of course, all of the players and all of the fans, you know, that go support them at the dish. I, you know, wholly believe that Texas is one of the best baseball programs in the country. And a large part of that is because of the fan support they get from the fan support this baseball team gets, I should say. So when you look at it, Texas is currently uh, in the Big 12 Conference Tournament. They play today at 1230 against Kansas. Some of y'all will hear this before that. Some of y'all will hear this after that. But hopefully we're talking about them beating Kansas and playing, I think, the winner of TCU and Kansas State tomorrow. And the Big 12 Conference released their conference awards for the 2023 season yesterday. And like I said, Texas was represented really well. So the biggest award of them all, I think, Lucas Gordon won Big 12 Pitcher of the Year, the eighth Texas pitcher to ever win it, the first Texas pitcher to win it since Ty Madden in 2021, I think it was 2021. And he went 6-1 this year, 2-4-8 ERA. That is great. 85 strikeouts and 83 innings. They like to say demon time when Lucas Gordon is on the mound, and that definitely was the case this year, your Big 12 Pitcher of the Year. What an accomplishment. Congratulations to Luke G for doing that. Then you talk about Jared Thomas, who made the all-freshman team, a 932 OPS, four home runs, 26 RBIs, and 10 steals. Congratulations to Jared Thomas on that accomplishment. Then you talk about the Big 12 first team, and Texas has a lot of names on it. Garrett Gilliamette at the catcher position, 1,009 OPS, 11 home runs, and 50 RBIs. Congratulations to him. Downtown Porter Brown. We saw what he was able to do on the offensive and defensive ends this year. Such a special player in the outfield. 1,020 OPS, 12 home runs, 54 RBIs, 9 steals, and the game-winning double play to beat his old squad, TCU. We'll never forget that at the 40 Acres. Dylan Campbell, of course, on a record-hitting streak right now. 1,063 OPS, 12 home runs, 44 RBIs, 24 steals. Congratulations to Dylan Campbell. Congratulations to Porter Brown as well. Of course, we mentioned Luke Gordon before, the Big 12 Pitcher of the Year. Of course, he's first team. And then LBJ, LeBaron Johnson, 7-2, 2-8-1 ERA. He was great as well. 84 strikeouts and 67 innings. Not only is he unhittable, he's making people out there look silly. A really special baseball team this year. And I think they have a chance to continue to do something special because they're playing their best baseball at the right time of the season. And now you got Tanner Witt back, right? I don't think any team in the country has gotten a shot in the arm the way Texas did when you basically picked up another ace towards the end of the season. And that's going to be really good for them. Tanner Witt shined in his last outing against West Virginia. They swept West Virginia. And now you come into this tournament with a lot of momentum. And we saw that with Oklahoma last year, where I don't think Oklahoma was you know, the best team in the Big 12, obviously Texas was, but Oklahoma got hot and then won the Big 12 tournament and then rolled that all the way to the NCAA championship, you know, Colors World Series against Ole Miss, right? I think Texas has a really good chance to do something like that this year. You got hot, sweeping West Virginia coming into the Big 12 Conference Tournament. You can win the Big 12 Conference Tournament and go into the postseason with a lot of momentum. And, you know, like I said, baseball is just about who's playing the best baseball at the right time of the year. And you can't, you can make the argument that Texas is playing like one of the best teams in college baseball 
right now. And hopefully that continues all the way to the College World Series. So, like I said, a lot of credit to this Texas baseball team, a lot of credit to the staff and what they were able to do this year. And, of course, credit to our Big 12 Pitcher of the Year, our Jared Thomas, who made all freshman team and all of our players who made first team all Big 12 and a really good season for Texas baseball, the premier program in college baseball. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to end talking about Ron Holland being released from his national letter of intent. So I believe it was on April 28th. I think it was the day after the first round of the draft, right, when Bijan went to the Falcons and Max Amos committed. And that week, Max Amos committed, Dylan DeSue announced he was returning, and Caden Shedrick committed. And we were like, okay, this Texas basketball team is starting to cook, right? We're, we're, we're starting to, you know, fill this roster back up. And then right after Max Amos committed, less than 24 hours, Ron Holland decommits and requests uh, to be released from his letter of intent, right, his national letter of intent. And up until this point, we had seen that Ron Holland had not been released from his letter of intent by the University of Texas. And the fact that that story even came out lets me know that Ron Holland and his camp were motivated to get that out. We're motivated to let people know that the University of Texas was slow playing this process. Right. That's something that, you know, I learned from Colin Cowherd. I don't learn a lot from Colin, Colin Cowherd, but that's something that he said. Right. When a story comes out, you have to think about who would it motivate to leak that story. It would not motivate the University of Texas to leak a story about them slow playing Ron Holland's national letter of intent. Ron Holland and his camp leaked that story to put pressure on Texas to speed the process up. And they finally did it. And I'm glad they did, because Recruiting is all about perception and you don't want to be the school that looks salty, right? There is no victory. There's no winning in being salty in recruiting. And the way you handle Ron Holland, who is well-known and well-respected coming from a recruiting hotbed in the DFW that's right in your backyard, you have to handle the process as elegantly as possible, even if that means losing Ron Holland. And they said they wanted to do their due diligence. Well, they didn't say this, but this was reported that they wanted to do their due diligence in terms of making sure that there was no funny business, right? There was no tampering going on with Ron Holland. But my point is, even if there was tampering going on with Ron Holland and he's headed to Arkansas, there's nothing you can do about it, right? Recruiting is about winning and losing. And if Ron Holland decommits to go to Arkansas, unfortunately, they won and you lost and you just got to move forward and pivot from it. So I'm glad they released him from his national letter of intent. I'm glad it did not get ugly. Like I said, this would have been a situation that could have prevented you from getting future recruits because, you know, parents and families would look at this and say, look how they handled Ron Holland. I don't want you going to play for Rodney Terry in the University of Texas. So I'm glad that this situation is over. You know, Texas is still one of his top schools. Uh, John Rothstein reported that he was going to visit the G League. I've said since he, you know, decommitted from the University of Texas, I think he's headed to the G League. But of course, there's a ton of Arkansas smoke and you know, maybe him visiting the G League right after getting released from his national letter of intent is a smokescreen because he didn't need to get released from his national letter of intent to go play for the G League. So maybe it's a Jordan Addison visiting Texas situation where we know he's going to USC, but let me go to Texas to make this look like my recruitment is open. So maybe he's going to Arkansas all along and, uh, you know, maybe he's just visiting the G League to not make it look that way. Right. But whatever it is, he was released from his national letter of intent. He decommitted from Texas and I wish him the best, right? You know, I think this is a really talented player, somebody who unquestionably is going to go top 10 in the NBA draft next year. And I think he had a chance to be, even though he's going to be surrounded by a lot of talent and maybe wouldn't have been able to play his full game. I think he's probably going to be the most talented player we've had at the 40 acres since 
Kevin Durant or LaMarcus Aldridge. I think he's that special. I think he cannot play this year and still go top 10 in the NBA draft. He's that good of a player. And, you know, it would have been nice to see him in a Texas jersey, but I wish him the best wherever he is next year. I'm just praying it's in the G League and not at Arkansas because that will hurt me deeply. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hook them. Peace.